What a great song, the hymn of heaven. We sing it now while we're here on earth and we are um, excited and looking forward to that day. But what a great day that is going to be. And you know, I just don't think we can quite wrap our minds around the fact that someday we are going to be in heaven and someday we're going to be like our Savior. What a glorious day that is going to be. Um, I, you know, I, I tell people sometimes we're going to get a new body and, and everything's going to be new. And I think part of the reason everything is going to be new is because we just can't, in our current bodies, our sin-cursed bodies, we won't be able to worship and adore God the way he deserves to be worshiped and adored. And so someday we're going to get that new body and we're going to become new creatures, or we're going to see the fulfillment of that new creature in Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, we will, we, uh, we're going to see and become like him. He's going to fulfill that work in us that he began uh, at the moment of salvation. Confident of this one thing, that he who began a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And when we see him face to face, we will be like him uh, on that day. What a glorious day that is. And I'm looking forward to that day. And you know what? If it came before our bonfire tonight, that will be okay. All right? Um, But if it doesn't, I trust that you will join us together and we will have a great time as we worship our Lord and Savior, even in the fun times that we have. That's the great thing about worshiping God. It doesn't have to be in a very formal and strict setting. It can be in a fun time and a good time and just a a wonderful time where we are reminded of who our God is and what he has done on our behalf. I keep getting asked, are we starting a new series? Are we starting a new series? Are we starting a new series? And it's, and, and no, not yet, okay? We will start a new series. But you know, there's 150 Psalms. Now, we're not going to look at all of them, okay? Um, but we are going to look at least at one more this morning. Um, and I told somebody yesterday, we, we can't have a study in the series of the Psalms. We've been calling this the summer, summer of the Psalms. We can't have a study in the Psalms without looking at this Psalm, okay? This particular Psalm this morning that we're going to look at is a magnificent Psalm. It is probably the most popular Psalm of all time, okay? It's a psalm that has been read at funerals. It's a psalm that has had songs written about it. Some go back hundreds of years. Some are very current and very recent. Um, It's a psalm that we love to to have read to us. It's a comforting psalm. It's a psalm that um, even people who don't know the Lord as their Savior are familiar with some of the things from this psalm. I see many of you shaking your head. And if you're at the ladies' conference, um, you had a, a sneak peek or a preview or perhaps even better than what you're going to get this morning. I don't know. But you had the opportunity to look at this psalm this mor- that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 23. Okay, uh, If you'd open your copy of the scriptures to Psalm 23, we're going to go ahead and look at this amazing psalm. We've called it the shepherd psalm, okay? Obviously, the Lord is my shepherd is the very first phrase in that psalm. It was a psalm that was written by a shepherd who knew uh, firsthand how the sheep live and behave and respond and act. And he could identify with that as a shepherd and how God, our, our Heavenly Father, treats us. 
So as we look at this psalm this morning, I want to give you some information about what other people have said about this psalm, okay? Um, any of you ever heard of a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon? We call him, or he's been called uh, throughout history as the, the Prince of Preachers, okay? Um, Charles Spurgeon had a way with God's Word. He was able to communicate it uh, in a way that stuck with people. There's, there's, I mean, lots and lots and lots of books written by Spurgeon and written about Spurgeon. Uh, one of his uh, most popular series of books is about the Psalms. It's called The Treasury of David, uh, written by Spurgeon, and that's where he he writes his commentary. He preached on most of the Psalms, but he writes his commentary, his notes. He's got in part of that series um, every Psalm that is that he that he covers, which is all of them. He says there uh, lectures to my students. Okay, so as he was lecturing to his students and teaching his students about the Psalms, these are some key things that he wanted the students to take away about the Psalms. He called Psalm twenty three the pearl of Psalms. Okay, in his magazine, The Sword and the Trowel, way back in the 1800s, Spurgeon used to write about different psalms. And the thing he said about Psalm 23 is this, of this delightful song, it may be affirmed that its piety and its poetry are equal. Its sweetness and its spirituality are unsurpassed. Okay, that's what he thought about Psalm 23. Uh, just the uh, amazing words for us to think and ponder about. Um, as I said, many have referred to this psalm as the shepherd's psalm, okay? And, and we're going to look a little bit this morning at how the Bible, especially Psalm 23, but so many other places in Scripture remind us that as people, as believers, as the children of God, we are referred to as sheep, Okay? Now, I might as well tell you right at the get-go that that's not the greatest comparison that you could ever have, okay? Um, sheep are not the smartest animals. Sheep are not the most loyal animals. Sheep are rather um, dumb, okay? They, they really don't know how to live life without a shepherd, okay? And we'll see some of that later on. Uh, I'm going to refer a lot to a book written by Philip Keller, uh, a shepherd, looks at the 23rd Psalm. Uh, he was a shepherd himself and as well as a pastor. So he takes those two offices and those two responsibilities and he melds them together in this amazing book. If you've never read it, you should get a copy of it. Uh, there might be in, some in the library, I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's a great book. It doesn't take very long to read it. I read most of it in the last uh, three or four days. Uh, so it's, it's just an amazing book that reminds us of who our shepherd is and what we are as sheep. So, as I said, we're going to talk about Psalm 23 this morning. Ladies um, that went to the conference, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity at some point, probably this evening, to talk about some of the things that you were blessed with by attending the, the conference, the Ladies Renew conference. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you have something about the main sessions, just the main sessions, Psalm 23 that you want to share with us. I know I didn't give you any heads up, but that's just the way it is. Um, if it really blessed you, it probably stuck with you and you probably don't need any heads up about it. But is there somebody that would like to share something this morning about what you learned from Karen Smith uh, on Psalm 23? Give you a couple seconds. Or even if you've been maybe studying or Psalm 23 is a favorite of yours, you can share something that you appreciate about Psalm 23.
Anybody. Even if you need a minute to think about it. Amanda. talked about was um, that he he's my shepherd I shall not want it wasn't like not wanting him but that I won't be in want and she made a point that we need to make sure that we're content in what God has given us because he promises to take care of our needs and we won't want things we may in our flesh want something, but we won't have need of things if God is taking care of us. So I thought that that was a rather, you know, calming thing, you know, in this world of, you know, eye catchers and, oh, I need this and I need to keep up with that person and do I have everything that they have as, you know, keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. But it was about being content in where he has placed us and what he has given us um, because he's not going to make us want for the things that we need. All right. Contentment is a very important part of this psalm. Yeah. Somebody else? Lauren. Um, So she talked about walking through the valley of the shadow of death and to remember, first off, that we are walking through the valley. We're not staying in the valley. It's a hard time, but there is an end and we will be there someday. Um, Also that it's a shadow. So a shadow of a knife can't kill you. A shadow of whatever has no bearing on you. It's just a shadow to scare you so that you lose sight of the end goal, basically. Very good. Thank you. Barb? Um, Where it says he makes me lie down in green pastures, she reminded us that Jesus' leading will never be burdensome, but refreshing. He leads us to those green pastures, and that's a time of refreshment. And that the shepherd knows how to care for the things which would prohibit rest. He he prepares it for us so that we can be resting. All right. Anybody else? Want to share anything about Psalm 23? Cindy. Psalm 23 was the very first chapter that I memorized in Scripture because my grandmother, God bless her, um, was a very godly woman, but uh, my family didn't go to church. And that drove her crazy. So she told my siblings and I that if we either learned the Ten Commandments or the 23rd Psalm, that she would give us $10. Well, that was a lot of money back in the 60s. (laughs) So I was like, oh. And I read the Ten Commandments. I didn't really like those very well, you know. They're like, don't do all this stuff. So I looked at the 23rd Psalm, and that looked a lot better to me. So I memorized that. Well, just before I memorized it, well, as I memorized it, my older brother had memorized the Ten Commandments, and he told Grandma that he had learned them. And so he recited them, and then she said, wonderful, and he said something about his $10, and she was, like, all upset with him. So then I never told her that I knew it. 
because I was afraid she'd get mad at me. But I did enjoy that. That was the very first scripture I ever memorized. Yeah, uh, you know, she's probably in the same generation of the lady that we used to visit at the nursing home when we were in Bible college. And um, every time we went to visit this lady, I forget her name. Not Mabel, it was the other. Alice. Alice. Um, Alice never got out of her bed. She was always in her bed. And um, we would go and visit Alice. And as soon as we get there, she'd grab me by the hand and we'd talk. And, and I'd ask her, anything you want to say, Alice? And she said, yes, I want to, I want to recite the 23rd Psalm. So every time she would, she would tell, she would recite from memory the 23rd Psalm. It was, you could tell, and she was smiling when she was doing it. It brought great joy to her heart. Um, and so yes, memorizing the 23rd Psalm, memorizing scripture in general is always a good thing. And you know what? I don't even know if Alice had a Bible in her, in her room, but she had that passage of scripture in her heart. And then she would, it's interesting, because she would go from the 23rd Psalm without skipping a beat right into the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so those two passages of scriptures were, were dear to her heart, and she always wanted to share them with us while we were together. So yeah, uh, it's a blessing to put that passage of scripture into your mind as, as far as uh, memorizing it, uh, which brings great, great hope and encouragement to us. Anyone else? Psalm 23. All right, well, let's stand together and we're going to read Psalm 23. Let me give you just a little warning. Um, This is not from the New King James Version, okay? So you'll want to keep your eyes on the screen because if you're not reading from the screen, you're going to sound different than the rest of us that are reading from the screen, okay? Psalm 23 all together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we are so thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to be together This morning, to worship you, we continue our worship of you, the one true God, as we look at this psalm, this very popular psalm, this very well-known psalm. Lord, as we think about this psalm this morning, we ask that you would use it to work in our hearts and our minds, to encourage us, to challenge us, to bless us, to prepare us for the things that you have in store for us this week. Lord, we thank you again for your word and how you have preserved it for us down through the ages. And what David wrote so many centuries ago is still so appropriate and applicable for us today. We want to thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So last week we looked at Psalm 1, right? And I said that it was a great psalm. That is, of course, from a human perspective, because we know all of God's word is great. It's equally great. It's all important for us to know and understand and to practice in our life and to find out how it's applicable to us. You know, not everything written in the pages of scripture is applicable for me. Um, 
we think sometimes of the Old Testament and we think of how, uh, you know, they, they weren't supposed to do this and they weren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Well, that doesn't really apply to me today because I don't live in the Old Testament. But there are principles that we can draw from that and, and, and figure out how it would help us live our life. Just for example, the, the Ten Commandments. Could have memorized those, right? Sitting probably since then, you have memorized them. But anyway, those Ten Commandments, we don't, do, we don't keep those Ten Commandments to get to heaven, okay? We understand that that's not even possible for us to keep those Ten Commandments. That doesn't mean we don't try to do what it says, but as we live on this side of the cross, we are mindful of the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled all those commandments that were given in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus and those chapters that told the Israelites how to live life. But you know, a lot of those Ten Commandments that we read about in Scripture and, and, and the things that God gave to the children of Israel to do, we have, we have figured out, or let's, let's use the word science, okay? Science has figured out that those things are just good for people to do in general. You know, the whole washing of your hands and all that kind of stuff... <laughs> We're coming out, well, maybe, maybe we're coming out of COVID. But anyway, what did we, if, if COVID taught us one thing, what was, what is it? Wash your hands, wash your hands. That was a, you know, how do we prevent COVID? That's what they told us, wash your hands, 20 seconds. Everybody should wash your hands for 20 seconds. Say the alphabet while you're washing your hands. Say John three sixteen. you know, whatever, you know, but wash your hands for 20 seconds, no matter what, Okay. That's a cleanliness aspect. The law teaches us the importance of being clean, okay? So that's nothing new. That was found in God's word many, 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 many years ago. So as we think about the things that are, are, were written for a different group of people, still have some importance and some application for us in the world in which we live today. But as we think of Psalm 23, we want to make sure that we are putting the pages of Scripture into practice in our lives. It's good for us to know and learn these things that David wrote for us. Psalm 23, not only is it well known by believers uh, from every generation, but it is also known by unbelievers, um, those that don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Listen to this comment from Ethan Collins. He says, Psalm 23 is undoubtedly one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. It adorns walls in faithful churches and fills frames in Christian homes. David's song is portrayed in non-religious circles too, making appearances in many secular movies and other entertainment mediums. Though, uh, though not often read in its entirety, few are unfamiliar with the famous The Valley of the Shadow of Death. Okay, uh, And so even in the world outside of the church, People are familiar with this amazing psalm. I want to give you a little bit of background. Notice the author of the psalm. David is the author, the second king of Israel, the one who in his younger years was a shepherd boy who cared for his father's sheep in the Israeli countryside. Now, understand this. When David was called to be the, she- the king of the next king of Israel, what was he doing? Where was he? He was out in the field taking care of his father's sheep. They had to go get him from being a shepherd and bring him to his father's home where Samuel anointed him to be the next king, okay? So David really knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He lived it. 
He, he understood what sheep were like. He understood how difficult it was to lead sheep and what was involved in all that was required to have a healthy flock. We see right from the beginning of this psalm, uh, as we read, we read it this morning, uh, we see right from the very beginning that it is a very personal psalm. Okay? It's clear that David considered himself to be in the sheepfold of the good shepherd. Those of us who have trusted in the Lord as our Savior, we also are part of this fold. And we can clearly identify with these encouraging words from the pen of the shepherd in the heart of our great God. Verse 1, the comforting truth. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. We need to spend some time thinking about, again, who David is talking about here. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. What do you notice about that word Lord in your text? It's all capital. Okay, we've talked about this many times before. It's not, it's, it's all cap, which means what? It means Jehovah God. It means the covenant-keeping God. David did not say, the Lord, all small letters, is my shepherd. Now, he could have, and that would have meant the master is my shepherd. Or, yeah, and, and yes, the shepherd is a master, right? He, he knows how to care for the sheep. But that's not what he said. He's not talking about the master-servant relationship here. He's talking about a shepherd-sheep relationship. There's so much more to that shepherd-sheep relationship that we want to look at and understand this morning. The Lord is the proper name of Israel's covenant-keeping God. It's the name that he used when he promised to Moses that he was going to deliver Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Remember that? In Exodus, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. L-O-R-D, all capital. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, all capitals, I did not make myself known to them. Wow. The Lord is my shepherd. A couple of chapters earlier at the burning bush, when God called Moses to lead his people, he introduced himself to Moses this way. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to go with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Read that quietly to yourself. Now, I have a question for you. As you read that passage of scripture, can you tell me, how is I am written in your text? Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? I never noticed that until I was studying for this psalm. That Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, I am, all caps. You know what? We're referring to the same person there. I am is the Lord. He is Jehovah God. That's who the shepherd is. 
When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, the one who called Moses from the burning bush to lead the people of Israel out of, the, out of Egypt into the promised land is my shepherd. Wow. Isn't that the amazing thing about God's word? No matter how many times you read it, you can learn something new from it. And you may have read that and said, Pastor, how did you not pick that up before? And maybe I did somewhere many years ago, but it was refreshed in my mind this week as I was studying for this, this, this message. That the Lord, Jehovah God, I am called from the burning bush, said, lead my people, lead my sheep from bondage to the promised land. You know what? The good shepherd has led me from bondage to the promised land. He's promised that I'm going to heaven and I'll spend eternity there with him. Over in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see how verse 14 starts out? I am. This is one of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the gospel. Jesus, by using these I am statements, is telling the Jewish people that he is Jehovah God. He is the Messiah. He's the covenant keeper. He's the one who's going to fulfill the covenant with the house of Israel that was made with Abraham and confirmed with David, and so on and so on and so on. I am the good shepherd. And then he goes on to say that the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. In chapter 10, it brings out this great hope to us that are sitting here this morning. Listen to this. Jesus says this, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let that rumble through your mind for a moment. Jesus, the I am good shepherd, says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What fold? The Jewish people, the Old Testament fold, if you will. Don't forget that even though we call, as our English Bibles are uh, set up for us to read, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the first four books of the New Testament. Understand this. Those gospels, they take place in the Old Testament economy. Okay, so everybody that's written to and written about there are living under the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't started the new covenant yet. So those Old Testament people, Jesus is saying, yes, you are my sheep. But then he says, other sheep I have who are not of this fold. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about you and I. And they will hear my voice. You and I, when we respond to the gospel and we hear the gospel and we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have heard the voice of God in our hearts and it is what brings us to an understanding of who he is and brings us to salvation and puts us, don't you love it what he says there? I must also bring them and they will be one flock and one shepherd. We are part of the fold as the title of our message reminds us this morning. You and I, who have trusted Jesus Christ, are part of the flock of the Good Shepherd. Philip Keller, like David I mentioned, was a shepherd. He wrote a classic book called The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. 
He wrote these words about this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, to think that God in Christ is deeply concerned about me as a particular person immediately gives great purpose and enormous meaning to my short sojourn upon this planet. And the greater, the wider, the more majestic my concept of Christ is, the more vital will be my relationship with him. Let me, let me repeat that for you, okay? He says, and the greater, the wider, the more majestic my concept is of Christ, the more vital will be my relationship with him. He goes on, obviously David in this psalm is speaking not as the shepherd, though he was one, but as a sheep, one of the flock. He spoke with a strong sense of pride and devotion and admiration. It was as though, I love this, it was as though he literally boasted aloud, look at who my shepherd is. Look at who my owner is, my manager. He is the Lord, the covenant keeper, the promise keeper. That's who my shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. Can I ask you, is that a comforting truth or not? Sure is. The creator of the universe, the God of all time, the only true God, as Paul said, the only wise God, he is my shepherd. Wow. Well, as we move on in our text this morning, we see the care of the sheep. Now, knowing that the Lord is my shepherd is very comforting, but what does that really mean? It means that we know the care of the shepherd. We know the care of our great God. The great care of the shepherd is seen in this phrase where David says, I shall not want, as Amanda uh, reminded us this morning. I shall not want. David, being a shepherd, really did know what sheep wanted. How many of us know what sheep want? Probably not very many. I know sometimes I want sheep, not so they can run around, run around in my backyard, but because they taste very good on the, on the grill, Okay. Uh, boy, lamb is really good. I love it. Um, but anyway, uh, Keller shares his insight about sheep that are not cared for well. Okay, so this is not us because we are cared for well. But Keller says, in memory, I can still see one of the sheep ranches in our district, which was operated by a tenant sheepman, not a shepherd, but a tenant sheepman, not one who rents, who is hired out to care for the sheep. He ought, he ought never to have been allowed to keep sheep. His stock were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease or parasites. Again and again, they would come and stand. I like this analogy or this truth. They would come and stand at the fence, that's Keller's fence, staring blankly through the woven wire at the green, lush pasture which my flock enjoyed. Had they been able to speak, I'm sure they would have said, Oh, to be set free from this awful owner. Oh, to be set free from this awful owner. You know, you and I have the message that sets people free from the bondage of Satan. And sometimes I really think people are looking through, if you will, the screen and saying to us, what does it take to be set free? How can I be set free from this awful bondage that I am stuck in? These sheep kept by the tenant shepherd were sheep that wanted. They, they needed things and their needs were not being met. Their owner was not fully invested. He hired someone to run the farm rather than coming to the farm and caring for his sheep. 
You see, that's exactly what our Savior did. And the Word, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus, the owner of the sheep, left heaven, came to the pasture, came to earth, and, and died for us. The, she, the shepherd came to meet our greatest need. That's what shepherds do. Not, not hired hands, but shepherds do what is necessary for their sheep to have their best life. When David says, I shall not want, there are two aspects of this truth. And, and Amanda was hinting at that, I think. First of all, he, he says, I do not lack for anything. Everything I need, I have. I don't need anything because my shepherd has taken care of everything I need. Secondly, not only do I, do I not lack in life, but I am completely content with my life as it is. This is the fact of not wanting, and it's elaborated on in verses 2 and 3. I shall not want. I don't lack anything. I have everything I need, and therefore I am content. I am satisfied. What are the four things that are necessary for sheep to be content? Again, I learned this as I was reading through these books this week. Rest is one of the things that sheep need to be content David puts it this way, he makes, my, he makes me lay down, lie down in green pastures. There's two things to ponder here, resting or lying down. How often have you noticed when driving past a field with cows in it that cows are laying down? Sometimes when Josiah's in the car, we'll look for cows. And I'll say, you lazy cows, get up! I've been told before, I don't know if it's true or not, I've been told before that cows lay down when rain is coming. That's why I tell them to get up. We've had enough rain, you lazy cows. Get up! We don't want any more rain. We want sunshine. Okay? But cows, the cows don't care. Yeah, they'll be walking along and they feel like lying down, so what do they do? <laughs> Lie down. That's what they do. Sheep aren't that way. Sheep have a lot of things that have to be taken care of before they will even think about lying down. If we, did, if we drove by a sheep farm, I know we don't have them around here, but if we drove by a sheep farm, you know what? We've driven by them in South Africa. Sheep are very seldom lying down. They're, you know what they're doing? They're always running around. They're either playing or, or whatever. They're, just, they're always on their feet. They keep moving. They're always on the move. A shepherd will tell you there are four things required for sheep to lay down and sleep. First of all, sheep must be free from all fear. Okay? They, there, there can't be anything that they're afraid of, otherwise they're not going to lie down. They cannot be agitated, or they, they must be free from friction. So they must be free from all fear. They must all, also be free from all friction within the flock. They cannot be agitated by their fold mates, or they will not lie down and rest. Can I ask you something? If you're afraid of something and there's something weighing heavy on your mind that's causing you to be afraid, do you sleep well at night? You sheep, you. If you know that there's something that you haven't settled work through with somebody who is part of your family or your church or whatever, and there's, there's friction between you and them, do you sleep well at night? You think God knew what he was talking about when he compared us to sheep? I think he did. He goes on to say, 
the, the, the sheep must be free from flies or other parasites. Have you ever gotten in bed and all of a sudden you hear this Yeah, missed it. My wife will say, there's a mosquito in here. And that means you can't go to bed yet because the mosquito is still flying around. So you have to get up and you have to kill the mosquito. Sheep don't like to be pestered by flies. They will not lie down and go to sleep if there are flies in the pasture bothering them. Sheep also must be free from being famished. Hungry. If sheep are hungry, there is no way they will lie down. Okay? Those four things, free from fear, free from friction, free from flies, and free from being famished, must be true in the life of a sheep before he will lie down. If I want any of those things, I am not going to be comfortable enough to rest in the care of my good shepherd. And you know what the blessing is? God has promised to meet all of those needs. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I shall not want. And when I don't want, you know what I am? I am content. I am happy. I am satisfied. I am willing to let the master, the shepherd, have his way in my life. I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. As as David says here in Psalm 23, he talks about the, the green pastures that are available to us. And that's where we rest. We rest in those green pastures. Now, it might be easy to think that green pastures just happen. But can I tell you something? That's not the case. Our landlords, when we lived in South Africa... They lived in a place called the Karoo, okay? Now, the Karoo is known for being a great place to have sheep, to be a sheep farmer. And our landlords were sheep farmers, okay? And they invited us to come visit them. Now, it was a, it's about, I think, about a five-hour trip from, how many? Eight-hour trip from Cape Town to Aberdeen, where they lived in the Karoo. And you know what? When you get out of the Western Cape, and you get into some of the other areas that are leading into the crew. One of the places is called Overberg. Okay? We drove through the Overberg once, and we said we'd never do it again. It's not pretty to drive through. It's just rocky mountain after rocky mountain and rise and, 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 and depths. You could look down uh, off the road, and you could see the rusted-out frame of a car that had gone off the side of the road and went down 100 feet and never got out. Okay? It's the Overberg. You're never going to go through the Overberg again. By the time you get to the Karoo, you're like, man, why would anybody live here? I got a picture of the Karoo for you. Is that, I mean, it's brown, it's dry, it's dusty. When we got, finally got to the, the homestead of the Paxtons, we were expecting this nice, lovely area it was a nice house, Cape Dutch style house. It was it was well furnished, you know, but it looked like that. How in the world do you raise sheep? Where's the green? It's not there. And you know what? It's a lot like this the Palestinian countryside where David was a shepherd. Go ahead, Timothy, to the next slide. Where's the green? 
what's with the pa- what's with the pictures, pasture? Pastor? Well, it's to tell you that the pasture is not always green. You see, the shepherd has to make the pastures green. It takes a lot of work to find green pastures for the shepherd to let his sheep lie down into. It's not something that just, you know, oh, we found a green place to, to be, so let's just lie down there. And it's, it's not that way at all. It's not lush. It's not green. And this is normal. This is not the exception. You could Google it like I did, and you could find all kinds of pictures that look like that where they take care of sheep. So the shepherd, he has to make the green pastures. He has to clear the land of what is bad for the sheep, whether it's a particular weed or it's rocks or possibly even to some degree, he has to level out the land. Then he plants and he irrigates and he causes the pasture land to be lush and green and good for the sheep to feed on. And once the sheep have been satisfied with their feed, they can lie down and be content. Green pastures don't just happen. Those good times in our lives that we might consider green pastures, they don't just happen. It's because God, our good shepherd, is at work in our lives making them green pastures. What is a green pasture for the child of God today? Well, it's that which fills us and causes us to grow and to be healthy. Part of that is the way God works in our lives. Part of it is the word of God. Daniel Davies, who writes for Lifeway, makes this following comment. He says, the message, God's revelation, God's word is the nourishment for our souls. As we begin the life of faith, we need the milk. As we grow, we transition to solid food. He goes on to say, how stubborn we can be to ignore an empty soul begging to be fed even scraps from God's word. Instead of resisting, Davies recommends that we taste and see that the Lord is good, as David said in Psalm 34, 8. And then he says, his word is sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb, Psalm 19, verse 10. You see, the word, it teaches, it trains, it fills, and it satisfies. So here's the point. We will not grow without feasting on the word of God. Feasting on the word of God. That's where the green pastures fill us up. We just graze and graze and graze and graze. And you know what? It doesn't matter how much you graze, you're never going to graze it all. You're never going to be completely filled by what you found here and say, oh, now I know it. I'm going to have to go find someplace else to get more, more grazing in. No, it's the word of God. From the day you get saved to the day you go home to glory, you will always be able to be fed from the passages of Scripture, from the pages of God's Word. It's the Word of God that nourishes the child of God. Well, not only does he provide rest, but he also provides refreshment. David says, he leads me beside still waters. You know, still waters cannot be overstated in the life of the sheep. The shepherd must provide the water in one way or another. You see, either he goes out scouting for it and and then he leads the sheep to it or he digs a basin and he, he digs down far enough for the water to start springing up or he finds a way to fill the basin. And he has to then keep a way, find a way to keep it fresh. You know what happens with stagnant water? You think sheep are gonna drink stagnant water? Yes, they are. 
That's why it's important for the shepherd to make sure it's not stagnant. Because stagnant water is going to give them belly issues. So he, it's not like, oh, I found this. This is good. He has to make sure that it's fresh. That it's always available. He leads me beside the still waters. Again, Keller, he says, I recall so clearly standing under the blazing equatorial sun of Africa and watching the native herds being led to their owner's water wells. Some of these were enormous hand-hewn caverns cut from the sandstone formation along the sand rivers. They were like great rooms chiseled out of the rocks with ramps running down to the water trough at the bottom. The herds and the flocks were led down into these deep cisterns where cool, clear water awaited them. What I'm trying to help you understand is that these still waters have to be prepared and maintained by the shepherd. There is so much work into being a shepherd. And we have the good shepherd or the best shepherd who leads us beside the still waters. We talked recently about the woman at the well and the conversation she had with Jesus. In that conversation, Jesus told her he was the giver of water that would quench her thirst forever. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd provides everlasting water for his sheep. The good shepherd knows where to lead his sheep, you and I, to the still waters where our thirst is quenched. Wow. What a good shepherd. What a shepherd that we have. Not only does he give us rest and refreshment, but we see here, David says, he restores my soul. The shepherd restores the sheep. The cool, clear water that the shepherd provides, the rest, of the, green, the rest that we find in the green pastures are the results and the blessings that the Lord has given to us, and that's what restores us. The lesson for us today is the Lord provides forgiveness and peace for those who follow him. How are you and I restored? Well, we're restored because of the forgiveness that God gives to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We are restored through the forgiveness that we grant to others when there's a need for forgiveness to be given. Restoration comes as a result of forgiveness. There's nothing that refreshes or restores the soul more than knowing that we have been forgiven by someone. Now, add to that the truth of Calvary. The good shepherd laid down his life for us and provided God's forgiveness for me and for you and for mankind. Man, were we transgressors? We sure were. There was nothing good in us until God saved our soul. And restored us to a right relationship with him. That relationship was lost a long time ago in a place we call the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to sin against the one true God. And from that point on, every person born into this world is born into a broken relationship that needs to be restored. Jesus provided for that restoration on the cross. We've been restored, we've been refreshed, we've been renewed. You see, when we think about all that God has done for us on the cross of Calvary, the fact of restoration is so critical for us. What was lost in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve was gained or restored by Jesus, the second Adam. Can I read something for you? You know, you know me in songs, right? 
the newsboys wrote a song called Hallelujah for the Cross. Here's the words to that song. It says, up, and no, Jim, I'm not going to sing it, okay? Up the hill of Calvary, my Savior went courageously, and there he bled and died for me. Hallelujah for the cross. And on that day, the world was changed. A final perfect lamb was slain. Let earth and heaven now proclaim, hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won. Death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he bought. Hallelujah for the cross. What good I've done could never save. My debt too great for deeds to pay. But God, my Savior, made a way. Hallelujah for the cross. Here's what we were. A slave to sin, my life was bound, but all my chains fell to the ground when Jesus' blood came flowing down. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won, death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he bought. Hallelujah for the cross. And when I breathe my final breath, I'll have no need to fear that rest. The hope will guide me into death. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. What happened on the cross brings rest, restoration, and redemption for the child of God. What a blessing it is to know that my soul has been restored by my shepherd. You see, he's always looking out for me. Why? Well, there's a reputation at stake. What's the reputation? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His reputation. You see, once we've been refreshed and restored, the blessings continue. Our great God does something else. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. And whose righteousness, by the way? Not mine. Because you know what my path of righteousness would look like? It would look cavernous. It would look rocky. It would look unsafe. But the path of righteousness that he leads me in is the paths of God's righteousness. He leads me down the straight and narrow, if you will. This is why we don't lean on our own understanding, but we rest in who our God is and we follow his way. We trust in the way of the Lord in all things. You think about this amazing care of the shepherd. It comes to us for one reason. All of the things we've been talking about so far, it comes to us for what reason? For his name's sake. For his honor. For his glory. When we are restored. When we are refreshed. When we are at rest. The name of the Lord is lifted high. And he is glorified. It's for him. Not for us. What a great reminder. That our lives should be lived. To bring glory and honor to our Savior. Well verse 4 talks about the concern of the shepherd. This verse brings great comfort to the child of God. This is what we might refer to as a study in contrasts, if you will. David starts out with a statement that speaks of a spot that he was all too familiar with. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, can I point out how personal this psalm is? David has talked about the fact that he makes me He leads me. 
He restores me. Again, we see the concern of the great shepherd. But as we get to the midpoint of this psalm, the care and the concern of the shepherd allows a certain confidence for the sheep. No matter where I am, even in the shadow of death, the shepherd is with me. He hasn't left me. The hired hand, he's gone. He's not going to be anywhere to be found. He's already running back to the owner to say, this is what happened and here's the excuse why I didn't stay. We call him a hireling because he doesn't have any concern for the sheep. All he wants is his paycheck at the end of the week or the month or whenever he gets paid. It's what he's looking for. But you see, the shepherd is personally invested in the life of the sheep. No matter where I am, the shepherd is with me. Let's think briefly about the shadow of, a, the shadow of death. Again, Keller gives insight about this. The valley of the shadow of death is about a journey taken about the same time every year. Okay? Here it is. Finally, toward the end of the year, as fall passes, the, deep, or the sheep are driven home to the ranch headquarters where they will spend the winter. In this segment of the yearly operations, that is described in the last half of David's poem. He knew from firsthand experience about the difficulties and the dangers as well as the delights of the trek into the high country. All the dangers of rampaging rivers and flood, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, the ravages of predators that raid the flock, or the awesome storms of sleet and hail and snow are familiar to him. He was fully prepared to safeguard his flock and tend them with the skill under every circumstance. The valley of the shadow of death was not a once-off thing in the life of the sheep. It happened regularly. It happened often. And the sheep didn't have to fear it because they knew the good shepherd was always leading, always going before them, always taking whatever precautions were necessary to make sure they made it safely from one place to another the valley of the shadow of death. What do we see here? We see the absence of fear even though you're in the valley of the shadow of death. When the shepherd is near, fear is gone. And the sheep knew that. They also knew when it was just a hireling and they wouldn't settle, they wouldn't rest. The sheep have a great calm and assurance when they know the shepherd is near. Isn't it a blessing to know that God is with me? He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Those are the words of our great shepherd. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is a good shepherd. He's always near. And when he's near, you know what? We have no reason to fear because the shepherd is near. The absence of fear. We also see the advantage of the shepherd. This is seen in the tools that the shepherd uses. The rod in the staff. Or as David wrote, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's speaking of the shepherd's tools. Now, anyone can have shepherd's tools, right? But not everyone knows how to use the tools of the shepherd. For instance, I have a, a, something I brought with me this morning. Anybody know what this is? It's a knob carry. You say, what is a knob carry? It's a shepherd's tool that the shepherds in South Africa used. 
Okay? Now, a, she- a knob carry, when a shepherd gets a knob carry, he goes out into the woods and he searches for it and he makes sure he gets hard wood and he, and he doesn't just cut it off the tree. You see this little knob at the end of it? You know what that is? That's where they cut, they've dug down underneath the tree and they've got to the roots of the tree and they've cut off the root of the tree and they've shaped it to fit their hand. So when the shepherd has his knob carry, he knows that that knob carry was made for his hand. Nobody else's hand fits him and him alone. You see, these knob carries, I looked for a long time for knob carry. Remember my search for a knob carry? We went to the Karoo. When we would, we would have visitors come to visit us, we would take them to these different places to visit. The longer they were with us, the further away we would go on these expeditions. So I looked and I looked and I looked and I never really found until this, the day I found this one. And I thought, oh, this is the one. Now you say, Pastor, why were you so particular about your knob carry? Well, I wanted one that was hard, for one thing, it's very hard. Okay, I, you know sometimes when you go on a hike, in those days I did go on hikes. Um, you want to have a walking stick with you, okay? Because when you're walking, you want to make sure that the next step you take is going to be solid and not fall out from underneath you. So I wanted it for a, a, a walking stick. I also wanted it to have no, so I could keep it close to my door. And when people came that didn't need to come and be be in my family or bother my family. Um, I could reach down and I could grab my knob carry and I could say, okay, now, what, what is it you were saying? When the guy who said to me, I want money, I, I said to him, I said, I'm sorry, I don't give 